New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today, I'm hosting Dr. Larry Ward. He's an African-American man, a Buddhist Dharma teacher ordained in Plum Village, established by the revered teacher Thich Nhat Hanh. And Dr. Ward is the co-founder of the Lotus Institute. He's the author of America's Racial Karma, an invitation to heal. I'm speaking with Dr. Ward at his home by remote connection. Welcome, Dr. Ward. May I call you Larry? Yes, you may. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'd love for you to please share with our listeners a bit of your background as a Black man in the U.S. and your travels that led you to Buddhism and being ordained as a Dharma teacher in the Buddhist lineage of uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. So if you could just say a little bit of how you arrived into that particular background. Okay, so I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio uh, in the 50s and 60s. I remember that my father and mother were from Tennessee and Georgia. And I remember the first trip we took uh, because my mother's father had passed away and how we had to drive at night, how we couldn't stop any place we wanted to eat or to rest, and the signs of white only, et cetera, made it clear to me. You know, I was like, what is this? <laughs> and so, and again, I've had childhood experiences, both positive and negative with law enforcement, but just the negative ones I remember. I was part of a religious community called the Ecumenical Institute, where I studied and taught theology and social change for years. And engaged in spiritual practice every day, both liturgical and collective and individual. Uh, I was stationed in Calcutta in 1977 about, and uh, I encountered a, a singular monk who invited me to tea. I went to tea, we did walking meditation, and he says, you're in Calcutta. Do you know you're close to where the Buddha lived and taught? It would be a shame for you to stay here and not learn anything. Oh. So time went by. And in the Ecumenical Institute, uh, part of my pattern was a researcher and teacher, et cetera. So I had studied Buddhism, like I study all the world religions. And we did some practices associated with different traditions as a part of our community life. So I was familiar in one sense with different kinds of meditation, different kinds of spiritual exercises from St. Teresa's work to the Buddha. But in Calcutta, I had a chance to have it experiential. It became experiential. And every place I was stationed after Calcutta, one of the first things I would do is to find a Buddhist center or temple where I could practice. This was years before I met Thich Nhat Hanh. And uh, then when I was courting my wife, who is now my wife of 25 years, uh, she says, well, you know, I have a teacher I want you to meet. 
he's doing a retreat. So I went with her to a retreat in California and recognized Thich Nhat Hanh as my teacher without a word being exchanged. Wow. And so you met him at that time in in California. Yes. And then, and then you later went to Plum Village, too. Yes, we, we went immediately that winter to Plum Village and subsequently over the years visited Plum Village for 21-day retreats, longer retreats on the staff of those retreats, uh, trips with Thich Nhat Hanh and other members to China, to Korea, to Vietnam, and other parts of the world. So I'm very comfortable, and I appreciate the Buddhist tradition's capacity to understand itself as a vehicle and not the end. Larry, besides your Buddhist studies and becoming an actual ordained Dharma teacher, you also worked at the Trauma Institute. So this is kind of combining your Buddhist background and teachings with neurobiology. So the two of these I found very interesting in how you manifest your life and how you do your teaching because you're teaching us not to just go on surface level things, but to go deeply into a practice of awareness that includes our neurobiology. Well, I reached that symbiosis, that interconnection, after I had the privilege of being at a conference in Northridge, California, at the university with an imam, a native shaman, a Catholic priest, etc., and and James Lawson, who was the person Martin Luther King sent to India to learn from Gandhi the nonviolent strategy. And he was there. And the question of our conference that we all spoke on was, what is justice in your tradition? And when we were all finished, uh, he said, well, we're all saying the same thing. We haven't achieved it. Why haven't we realized it? And so I took that question as a meditation every day for a year. And through my continued research and practice with the body-mind and my neuroscience development, et cetera, I realized what is stopping us is we are still in trauma. Ah. We have unprocessed trauma, and it is dictating our reactions. And that fits for me in Buddhism with the first foundation of mindfulness, which is mindfulness of the body. And so mindfulness of the body is laid out in various practices and exercises. And I realized that mindfulness of the body needed to attend not only to our movements and what we do when we walk and move, but needed to attend to our nervous system within our body. Unprocessed trauma, it's not only in the black body, it's also in the white body. You bet. I mean, like we think the black body has experienced, you know, coming out of slavery and holding that trauma and then inequality still exists and injustice and violence against whole peoples. But also it doesn't take the white people off the hook as far as being reactive to, I'm speaking as a white woman, our own unprocessed trauma and then how I acted out then out in the world against other people, especially people 
of another color. Mm-hmm. That's true. And, and it's also important to remember that when the Europeans came ashore in this land, they came traumatized already. They were escaping. They were fleeing for them what was repression and suffering. And so that trauma never got processed, never got handled. And then it was projected out on the indigenous people here and the whole slavery trade. I mean, you can go back through all these histories in great painful detail. And there is no way one can traumatize others without being simultaneously traumatized oneself. And you're talking about ancestral trauma, which reminds me, I want to read something. It, it was included in your book, but it's also in in the book of Resma Monacom's yes. um, My Grandmother's Hands. Yes. And he says, I'm, I'm going to read this. Just stay with me. Um, One or two things will happen ideally. America will grow up and out of white body supremacy, Americans will begin healing their long-held trauma around race and whiteness will begin to evolve from race to culture and then to community. Mm -hmm. The other possibility, he writes, is that white body supremacy will continue to be reinforced as the dominant structure form of energy in American culture in much the same way as the Aryan supremacy dominated German culture in Mm -hmm. the 1930s and early 1940s. If Americans choose the latter scenario, the racialized trauma, the racialized, I'll repeat that, the racialized trauma that wounds so many American bodies will continue to mutate into insanity and create even more brutality and genocide. So I would love for you to comment on Manikam's phrasing there and his thoughts. Well, I think it's brilliant because on the second point, this is about continuation. We are at a point of choice and destiny here around race. And part of what he is skillfully just saying for me is that unless we develop the skills of coming home to our own body and willingness to live in our own skin, whatever skin that is, and attend to our own inner life and body's life of pain and suffering that we carry with us, uh, we're doomed. That is doomed to not succeed together. But you have to remember, we've been conditioned not to be together. You know, while after World War II, the different parts of Europe were building railroad stations and trains and the health systems, we were building toilets to keep Black people from sharing the same bathroom as white people. We invested money in these things to keep us separate. And now we act like we didn't do that. And so this in of itself, this isolation from being connected itself is traumatized. And so we we live on edge. We walk on eggshells is, is a phrase around one another because we know how to be safe together. That's a powerful statement there. And, and what I would like to encourage people to do is to call together 
in groups, in what I call safe circles of people, just to start to reach out beyond our kin and our families and our just our local community, but to reach out to one another, to broaden our connections and to form these circles of conversations so that we can become more aware of what you say, that trauma that lives in our bodies. And in that safety, we can speak. We may make mistakes, Larry. Oh, we We will. We may do microaggressions in the circles that I'm in. Yeah, yeah, we've spoken out and then we're saying, oh, that is really aggressive. I'm really hurt. That hurts me to hear you say blah, blah, blah. And I don't even realize where I'm doing it. And these are wonderful circles of people who are falling in love with one another in deep trust and respect. So I'd love your comment on that before we close today. I think that's the key to the future. Uh, Meg Wheatley calls these islands of sanity. Margaret Mead used to call these sapiential circles, human circles. And there are many circles going on around the country with different groups toward the same end. A part of our challenge, I think, is we don't know this is happening. and. Uh, I think it's wonderful, and I think it's the key to the future, not just of us here in the U.S. around race. I believe this is the key model for saving our planet. Well, amen to that, Larry. It's civil in the highest understanding of civil society. Larry, I just want to thank you so much for being with us on the New Dimensions Cafe And I'd like to let our listeners know that I have been speaking with Dr. Larry Ward, author of America's Racial Karma, An Invitation to Heal. And I've been speaking with Dr. Ward at his home by remote connection. And to find out more about his work and his writings, go to thelotusinstitute.org, thelotusinstitute.org. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms, and I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe. I invite you to please join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.